open God's Word this evening to Judges chapter 13. Judges 13, we will read the whole of the chapter, and the text for this evening's sermon will be the last two verses, verses 24 and 25, and that means in our series on Samson, we will be skipping over the interactions between the angel of the Lord with Manoah and his wife, and we do so because Those verses really do not fit under our theme. The theme for our series is Samson, the mighty yet flawed deliverer. And therefore, we want to keep the focus on this type of Christ. So, we'll consider verses 24 and 25 tonight. But let's read the whole chapter. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me. And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. The child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which Thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, The man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man. And he said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou 
wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel, the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name, that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? And perhaps a better way to translate that would be, seeing it is wonderful. That's his name. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would, as at this time, have told us such things as these. Now the words of the text that we consider this evening. And the woman bare a son, and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Thus far we read God's Word. On the surface, Samson is a paradox to every student of the Bible. And he's a paradox because on the one hand, as we saw last time, he is a Nazarite. One devoted, consecrated unto God. And in harmony with that, at times we see him performing these mighty and heroic deeds on behalf of God and for the sake of his covenant people. At times we see him very strong. But on the other hand, there are times where Samson falls deeply into sin. There are times he appears so self-willed and foolhardy. There are times he is very weak that is weak against sin and temptation. So that when we study Samson, we might ask, What's going on here? What explains this sharp contrast that we observe in this one figure in the Bible? Well, Scripture itself provides us the answer. It does so by teaching us the truth that within every single child of God, there are two opposite competing life principles. The Spirit and the flesh. And these two war against each other, even as we're taught in Galatians 5, verse 17. For the flesh 
lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. And so it was for Samson. So that we come to understand that when we see him living a life of devotion to God, when we see him performing these mighty acts on behalf of God, he's being led by the Spirit. But when he's falling into sin, when he appears so self-willed, when he stands there so weak, he's being led by his own sinful flesh. He's living according to the desires of his old man of sin. And we will see that dynamic all throughout this series. The Spirit and the flesh warring against each other within Samson. And it was my original intention to preach a portion of Scripture that would encapsulate both of those. My original intention was to preach these two verses, as well as the first four verses of the next chapter in which we see Samson being led by the flesh so that we could see the contrast side by side. But in trying to think through a sermon, I realized there was simply way too much material for one sermon on those six verses, and so we will split it into two. Tonight we will look at Samson as he's led, especially by the Spirit, as he's moved by the Spirit to use the language of verse 25. And we do so, on the one hand, for the sake of our own encouragement. As we battle against sin and temptation, as we must fight the good fight of faith, this passage gives us hope in light of the truth that this Spirit has been given to us. But on the other hand, we consider this history so that we might learn about our Savior Jesus Christ. For Samson is a type. An old, a real Old Testament figure that points us ahead to Jesus Christ and His salvation. And he points us ahead to Christ here too. And that just as Samson was moved and strengthened by the Spirit, so too our Lord Jesus Christ was moved and strengthened by the Spirit. Both of them are Spirit-filled deliverers. And we'll come to see that. Even as we consider this history, these two verses using as our theme, Samson moved by the Spirit. First, we'll look at the Spirit in Samson. Second, at the Spirit in Christ. And then third and finally, the Spirit in us. After 23 verses, we finally meet Samson here in verses 24 and 25. And we learn, first of all, of his birth. Verse 24a, and the woman bare a son. That is, having conceived of a child, having carried that child full term, Manoah's wife, begat a son. Just as God had promised. He had promised to her back in verse 3, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And now verse 24 tells us, and the woman bare a son. So that we see at the very outset, God is always faithful to His promises. Not one of them shall fall to the ground. If God promised something, you may be sure He will grant it. 
Next, we learn about his name. The text tells us the Mormon bear a son and called his name Samson. The name Samson means son, S-U-N, or son-like, or a splendid son. And the significance of this is that it's in harmony with the role that he will have as the deliverer of Israel. For understand that this was a very dark, dark time in the history of Israel. They were walking impenitently in sin. They were under the oppression of the Philistines. And now Samson will be used to dispel, to drive away the darkness. Samson will come upon the scene shining as a saving light for the nation of Israel in their oppression. Next, we also learn of Samson's growth. His growth. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew. Literally, the child became strong. The child became great. So that what this is telling us is more than that Samson developed physically and mentally along the normal lines of development that you would expect for a child. There's more here. When it says the child grew, it's telling us he became strong. There was something distinct about this child. There was something unique about this child. He was clearly set apart by God Himself. For that too was a part of what we learn about Samson at the very outset. Not just his birth, not just his name, not just his growth, but his blessing from God. That's the end of the verse. The Lord blessed him. The Lord blessed him both physically and spiritually. For understand, those two were wrapped up together during the Old Testament times. The physical blessings being a token of the spiritual blessings that were found in Jesus Christ. So that God was keeping Samson. God caused His face to shine upon Samson. He was gracious to Samson. He lifted up His countenance upon Samson and gave Samson peace. We learn at the outset of His birth, His name, His growth, and His blessing from God. And all that's right here in verse 24. But there's more that we learn about Samson if we broaden our horizons and look elsewhere in Scripture and we come to see more specifically God's blessing upon him. We touched on that very briefly, but now we can expand that to see that the Lord blessed him, especially in giving him faith and working in him godliness. So that another characteristic of Samson that we learn is his faith. Samson's a believing child of God. And we say that in light of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is that provides that long list of the various heroes of faith. And one of the names that is included in that list is the name Samson. So that we read in verse 32, and what more shall I say for the time would fail me to fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson. Samson was a believing child of God. That is, Samson believed that there is only one true God, Jehovah. And he understood that all the idols of the nations around them and the idols that had crept into the nation of Israel, they were false gods. They were the inventions of a depraved nature. He believed in the one true living God. He believed in the coming Messiah so that, Jesus, so that Samson looked for 
the seed of the woman, the coming of the seed of the woman who would come to crush the head of the serpent. What is more, Samson lived by faith. So that if we were to continue on reading in Hebrews chapter 11, we could take some of that language and see that it very clearly points us to Samson. For Samson, by faith, subdued kingdoms and that he would begin to subdue the kingdom of the Philistines. By faith, Samson wrought righteousness for as judge, he worked justice. By faith, Samson obtained promises. Even when he called out unto God, asking Him to help him in a time of need, even as God had promised. By faith, Samson stopped the mouth of a lion when that roaring lion met him in the vineyard. By faith, Samson escaped the edge of the sword when the enemies had surrounded him at Gaza and he tore down the gates and carried them to the top of a hill. By faith, Samson waxed valiant in fight and he put the enemies to fight. He lived by faith. And thus we see that Samson was not only a believer, he was also a godly man. That's the other blessing that we see that God worked that in him. And now, upon hearing that, you might have a question in your head. Really? You are going to describe Samson as a godly man? I, I understand that you would call him a believer. That's clear from Hebrews chapter 11, but godly? Seems a bit much. Well, to be sure, Samson is very flawed. To be sure, he is often led by the flesh. He walks according to that old man of sin at many different times so that we see his sins prominently in this book. But at the same time, though we see his sins, his weaknesses, there is evidence of a godly character. The small beginning of a new life of obedience. We noted one way that was true last time when we considered the fact that Samson was a Nazarite and there's evidence that he sought to live according to the vows of a Nazarite. He did guard his hair. So that even at the very end, it's not until his soul is vexed to the point of death on account of Delilah's nagging that he finally tells her about his hair. But that's just one example. There's other examples As a godly man, he hated the enemies of the Lord. He had a clear contempt for the Philistines so that Samson could say with the psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. That's evidence of godliness. Further evidence is the fact that he does cry out in a time of need. Not to Baal, but to Jehovah God, expecting help, deliverance from the Most High. And now in saying Samson was a, a godly man, we're not saying that he, he's the model that we all should follow. He, 
He's not the perfect example. Like a Samson, follow him by no means. But yet there is sufficient evidence of a small beginning in a life of obedience. So we see his faith and we see his godliness. But now having looked at the character of Samson as we find it described for us in verse 24 and as we find it described more broadly in Scripture, we have to ask the question, what stands behind this? What explains Samson's faith? What explains his godly character? Is the explanation to be found in Samson himself? Did he make himself to differ from all the other Israelites in the land? And the obvious answer is no. The explanation is found in the work of the Spirit. And that's where the text points us in verse 25. Samson was filled with the Spirit. Verse 25, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. The Spirit of the Lord here is obviously the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the one who is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. And we read that this Spirit of the Lord moved Samson. He stirred Samson. He incited Samson so that what's being communicated to us is that the Spirit was at work in Samson. And that then gives us the explanation for that that faith, that godliness. Where does Samson's faith come from? Well, it's the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit worked in him powerfully, irresistibly, this gift of faith giving him the faculty of faith. And what is more, working in him both the will and the act of believing. The Spirit worked in him as godliness. So that the strength for this is not found in Samson himself, but that small beginning of a new life of obedience is really the fruit of the Spirit's work in him. So they have the explanation for Samson's faith. His godliness is the sovereign grace of our God worked in Samson by His Spirit. Now it is noteworthy that this was happening in the Old Testament. And that's noteworthy because sometimes we can be tempted to fall into this wrong understanding that, well, the Old Testament saints, they didn't really have the Spirit. And we might start to think that way because of the various passages in Scripture. We don't have the time to go through them, but there are passages in Scripture that do make clear a sort of distinction, a difference between the the Spirit in the New Testament relative to the Old Testament. And we might imagine, well, maybe that means they did not have the Spirit in the Old Testament. Samson shows us otherwise. This history makes clear that the Spirit was indeed at work in the hearts and lives of His own already in the Old Testament. And not just office bearers, but laymen. Not just the old, but the young. Not just men, but also women. The Spirit was at work in every last elect child of God throughout the Old Testament. So the Spirit was moving Samson. But He was moving him to do much more than to believe and to obey. That's a part of it. And that's... That's how the Spirit was at work in Samson and all the other saints in the Old Testament. But yet, 
The Spirit is doing more in Samson than He was for the vast majority of God's children in the Old Testament because the Spirit is the one who worked in Samson to perform His miraculous deeds of strength. So that standing behind each and every one of His heroic feats in which He is beginning to deliver God's people from the tyranny of the Philistines, we must recognize the strength, the power of the Spirit. And Scripture itself makes that very clear so that if we continue on reading in the book of Judges, we see reference after reference to the work of the Spirit in Samson so that when we come to chapter 14, verse 6, when a lion meets him in the way, we read, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent the lion as he would rend a kid. We see the same thing in Judges 14, verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and so on. It was the Spirit of the Lord who strengthened him for that. Same thing in chapter 15, verse 14. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became his flax and that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed, off, loosed from off his hands, and he grabs the jawbone of an ass, and he slays a thousand Philistines. How? Because the Spirit of the Lord was at work in Samson. So it's not just that the Spirit is moving him to believe in God and in the promised Messiah. It's not just that the Spirit is working in him to live a life of godliness, but it's more than that. The Spirit is working in him to perform these mighty, these heroic deeds for the good of the church in that day. So that while it's true, it's very biblical to say that by faith, Samson subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, escaped the edge of the sword, and waxed valiant in fight. Fight. He did all that by faith, but at the very same time, we recognize that staying behind that is the empowering work of the Spirit so that He did all those things by the strength of the Spirit. And what comes out in this passage is that he began to do these things as a young man. And that's what's being communicated to us at the end of verse 25. Verse 25 says, the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. We've explained that in a general way, but now it adds, he began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. And now admittedly, it's Difficult to know exactly what's being communicated when Scripture gives us this little detail about moving him to a specific place. Many take this camp to be a reference to some military camp so that they interpret this as saying, well, Samson is growing in his military prowess. Maybe. But unlikely. Because remember, Israel is not seeking deliverance at this time. 
There is no active resistance against the Philistines at this time. For when Samson does begin to resist, the people of Judah are upset with Samson. They're content with the status quo. They're okay with the bondage. And even if there were a military camp, surely it would have been subdued. This is right next to the border of the Philistines. So it's unlikely that this is referenced to a military camp and that Samson is growing in his military prowess. Instead, I believe the end of verse 25 is telling us that by the strength of the Spirit, Samson began to perform acts of chivalry and valor among and for God's people. He's living in the midst of God's people. He's moving in this camp between Zorah and Eshtael. And as he lives among them, the Spirit was at work in him so that anytime there was some service that was needed, Samson provided the service. Anytime there was someone required help, there was a need. Well, Samson filled it. The Spirit was working in him, the desire and giving him the strength to perform these acts of valor, these, these acts of charity, so that Samson was doing the things that you would expect only of the the strongest of the leaders among God's people in Israel. He was doing it already as a young man because the Spirit was at work in him. And the Spirit would continue to work in him to perform even greater acts for the sake of God's covenant and His covenant people so that we see that Samson was indeed a Spirit-filled Deliverer. And in that way, he points us to Christ. And that's the truth we need to learn about our Savior this evening that Jesus Christ is a spirit filled deliverer. So that this typology includes, the typology of Samson includes this specific aspect that the Spirit likewise moved and strengthened Jesus Christ. And now at first, that might surprise us to hear that. That might not sound quite right that the Spirit was moving Jesus Christ, strengthening Jesus Christ. Well, because this is something that perhaps there's a, an element of doubt about. I want to take the time to open up the Word of God and to show at length the work of the Spirit in and upon Jesus Christ. The Spirit moved Jesus Christ in a number of different ways. First, the Spirit saw to the growth and development of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. There's a clear parallel between the wording that we have in Judges 13 and the language that we find, for example, in Luke. Judges 13, and the woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And then we turn in the New Testament to Luke chapter 2, verse 40, and we read, and the child grew 
and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Verse 52 adds, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And the Spirit played a role in this. This growth, this development of our Savior. Because verse 40 says that He waxed strong in spirit. Or we could say by the Spirit. And really, Spirit should be capitalized here. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. And while others might contend well, those words in Spirit do not belong there in our Bibles, or they might contend that it's not talking about the Holy Spirit, even if we would grant them that, This is still biblical truth that we are explaining because it's taught elsewhere in Scripture. For example, in Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, a prophecy concerning the Messiah, we read this, "...and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him." And do what? What Spirit? The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make Him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. The Spirit shall make him quick of understanding the fear of the Lord. And he's going to work in this, in our Savior, this wisdom, this understanding, and so on. The Spirit saw to the growth and development of Jesus Christ. Second, the Spirit led, guided, and directed Jesus Christ throughout his life. We see this, for example, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, this is just after his baptism, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, just as we read in Judges 13, verse 25, that the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zor and Eshtel, we read here that the Spirit led that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's, he's directing him where to go. And he's going to do the same when Jesus comes back from the wilderness. Verse 14, Luke 4, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. So it's not just that the Spirit is, is leading him where to go, but he's returning in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is strengthening Jesus Christ. Third, the Spirit. By the, it was by the power of the Spirit that Jesus Christ preached. That's Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Again, another messianic prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. To do what? Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And Christ Himself will make explicit that this verse applies to Him. It's a prophecy of Him. And it's telling us that He preached by the power of the Spirit. Fourth, it was by the power of the Spirit that He performed miracles. It's Matthew 12, verse 28. In the context, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus Christ of casting out devils and the power of Beelzebub. And it's over against that that Christ states the truth of the matter in Matthew 12, verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is upon you, is come unto you. Even the miracles he performed was by the power of the Spirit. Fifth, 
And this gets even more astonishing. Christ offered Himself unto God through the Spirit. That's Hebrews 9, verse 14. Hebrews 9, verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Christ offered Himself through the eternal Spirit. And now I'm well aware that there are many who take this as a reference to Christ's divine nature, that in His divine nature He sustained the burden of God's wrath. But I believe the King James is pointing us in the right direction when it does capitalize Spirit here. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. So it's teaching us that Jesus Christ offered Himself as the the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins through the Spirit, with the help of the Spirit. And sixth and finally, it was by the power of the Spirit that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Yes, there are Bible verses that tell us the Father raised the Son from the dead. Yes, there are Bible verses that make clear the Son arose in His own power. He had the power to lay down His life and to take it up again. But the Spirit was at work too, was at work as well. And that's 1 Peter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, that is made alive again, by the Spirit. So do you believe me yet, congregation? that this specific aspect of the life of Samson points us ahead to our Savior Jesus Christ. The Spirit moved and strengthened Samson to deliver Israel, to begin to deliver Israel. And so too, the Spirit moved and strengthened Jesus Christ to deliver us from our sin and misery. Samson is a type of Christ. But with all types, we recognize that the type does not quite measure up. For you see, Jesus Christ is the greater than Samson. And He's the greater than Samson because He was given the Spirit without measure. That's the language of John 3, verse 34. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. And now it's not saying that he did not give him the Spirit, but that word not is being used to describe the words by measure, so that if we flip it around and state it positively, it's telling us that God did give the Spirit to Christ, but did so without measure. Samson certainly had a a rich measure of the Spirit. Likely a greater measure than his fellow Israelites. At the very least, the Spirit clearly enabled Samson to do things, to perform miracles that he did not empower the other Israelites to do. Samson had a great, a rich measure of the Spirit. But Christ was given the Spirit without measure. 
He was filled with all fullness. And by the power of the Spirit, He has accomplished our salvation. He has delivered us. And that is indeed the significance for us. This is our salvation that we are talking about here. By the power of the Spirit, Jesus Christ did not merely begin to deliver us and then left the rest of it up to us, but He delivered us fully and completely. So that it was by the power of the Spirit that Jesus Christ is for us the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. Samson's name means son. For Samson would be used to dispel, to drive away the darkness of the oppression of the Philistines. Well, in that too, he points us ahead to Christ. About whom Malachi 4 verse 2 teaches us prophetically that he would be the son of righteousness who would come with healing in his wings. So that as God's people, we do not have to save ourselves. We do not have to get ourselves out from under the tyranny, the bondage of sin. But we find everything that we need for salvation in this Spirit-filled Deliverer. Now the fact that He did it by the power of the Spirit really magnifies the wonder of our salvation because it reminds us of the important truth that our salvation is indeed the work of the triune God. And that comes out when we ask the question, why would the Son need the Spirit? He's divine! He is the Almighty Son of God in human flesh. Why would He require any help from the Spirit? And when we ask that question, the answer that it leads us to is to the truth that salvation is the work of our triune God. For you see, God is but one being. There is only one God. Yes, there are three persons within the Godhead, but yet there's only one divine essence. And In harmony with that truth, that means each of the three persons participates in every work of God. So that while certain persons stand on the foreground in certain aspects of God's work, and each person plays his own distinct role within any given work, nevertheless, it is never the case that one of the three persons works or operates to the exclusion of the other two. And so it is for our salvation. And not just from a general point of view. But what all those verses are showing us is that the work of Jesus Christ is really the work of the triune God. And that's profound. Certainly salvation from a general point of view is the work of the triune God. For the Father determined, planned out our salvation. He chose His elect people from all eternity. And it's the Son who came into this world, who was born of a woman, who 
suffered all of his life long to accomplish our salvation by giving himself to the death of the cross. And it's the Spirit who takes the what Christ has earned, those blessings of salvation, and bestows them upon us. He confers them so that the Spirit is applying what the Son accomplished. Salvation generally, from a general point of view, is clearly the work of the triune God. But what we are saying in this sermon goes a level deeper. Because we're saying that the work of Jesus Christ himself, in the work of Jesus Christ Himself, we see all three persons of the Trinity. The Spirit is at work. For He did everything, for everything that He did was by the power of the Spirit, so that from the time that He was born until the time that He died, the Spirit was moving and strengthening Jesus Christ. And what about the Father? Well, Jesus told us very plainly, He came not to do His own will, but the will of Him that sent Him, that is, His heavenly Father. So that our heavenly Father did not just plan out salvation from a general point of view, but He planned out the entire life of Christ down to every last detail. Every step was determined by the Father and in time the Son was actively, willingly carrying out the will of that Father by the power of the Spirit. So that's not just salvation from a general point of view, but salvation in and through Jesus Christ that is the work of the triune God. They say again, that's profound. And in no way does this detract from the, the power, from the glory of the Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. But instead, what this does is emphasizes the wonder of what Christ has accomplished. So that when we reflect upon this truth that we see all three persons in the work of Jesus Christ, that He's not operating to the exclusion of the other two. This is reason to praise our God. This is reason to stand on our tiptoes and say, blessed be the name of our God and Father in Jesus Christ. Especially because... A part of that salvation is that we too are given the Spirit. So it's not just the Spirit in Samson. It's not just the Spirit in Christ, but it's the Spirit in us. And it's the Spirit of Christ Himself. So as God's people, we do not receive the Spirit of Samson, but the Spirit of Christ for because Jesus Christ accomplished our salvation, because He did everything that the Father required Him to do as His due reward for His obedience, He was given the Spirit as His own upon His entrance into heaven. So that's now the Son sending forth the Spirit as our ascended Lord so that the Spirit that we have within us is the Spirit of Christ. We are partakers of His anointing. And what is more, we're given that Spirit in great measure. In a greater measure than even Samson. Because remember, there is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
The difference is not that we have the Spirit in the New Testament and they did not have the Spirit in the Old Testament. But in light of the the language of the the pouring out of the Spirit, the, the shedding forth of the Spirit, we understand that the Spirit is given to us in a greater measure now in the New Testament relative to what they had in the Old Testament. So that the encouragement for us as God's people is that we have the Spirit of Christ moving us and strengthening us. And that's reason for hope. Hope in our own struggles and our own battles. Child of God, do you feel as though the gates of hell have been unleashed against you for the sole purpose of dragging you away from God? You have the Spirit who empowers God's people to subdue kingdoms, including the hosts of the kingdom of darkness. Child of God, do you struggle to live a life of obedience? Are good works lacking in your life? You have the Spirit of Christ who empowers us to work righteousness, to live a life of new obedience. Has your faith grown weak on account of some trial? so that you are beginning to doubt God's promises toward you. You have the Spirit of Christ who works in us both the will and the act of believing so that by faith we may obtain those promises. Has that roaring lion the devil met you in the way? Has he pinned you to the ground? We have the Spirit of Christ who so strengthens God's people so that by His power we are able to resist the devil so that he flees from us. Do you feel as though you are surrounded by your enemies? That they've compassed you about and that there's no way of escape. You have the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit who is able to open a way of escape from the edge of the sword. Are you weak and weary on account of the constant battle? You have the Spirit, child of God. The Spirit of Christ Himself who strengthens us so that we might wax valiant in the fight and thereby put our enemies to flight. This gives us hope. Yes, the battle is relentless. Yes, we are weak. And yes, our enemies are strong. But we do not fight in our own strength. Instead, we look to the Spirit of Christ given to us 
We rely on Him. And so let us pray earnestly that God would strengthen us by His Spirit. For He does give His Spirit to those who ask. And so let us beseech Him that He would fill us with His Spirit. He would move us and strengthen us by His Spirit. Let us trust Him. Not relying on our own strength, but relying upon the invincible strength of the Spirit of Christ Himself. And let us walk in the Spirit. Not after the flesh. For when we walk after the flesh, we grieve the Spirit. Instead, let us walk in the Spirit according to His leading, according to His guiding. May we be sensitive to His prompting of us. So that like Samson, we might live and walk by faith. And so that like Samson, we too may make a small beginning in a life of new obedience unto our God, all to the praise and to the glory of our triune God. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for our Savior Jesus Christ and for the gift of Thy Spirit sent to live and to dwell within us and to move us and to strengthen us. Lord, fill us with Thy Spirit and lead us by the power of the Spirit again and again to our Savior so that we live and walk by faith. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.